0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: My co-host, Vinnie Hardy, had a family emergency, so he is out uh, today, so it's just me. We did have Oscar Combs, UK legend, uh, lined up, but uh, he will be our first guest of 2016, so looking forward to that next week. Uh, so since it's just me, uh, I'm going to kind of do a, a year in review as we look back on the big sports events, not only in the Big Blue Nation for the University of Kentucky, but also in NBA, NFL, and MLB, and other things. Don't forget, you can call in live. That number is 845-277-9373. Again, that's 845-277-9373. You can also tweet at the show account at Cats Talk Wednesday, or you can Tweet to me directly at Brown underscore 80. So the biggest news uh, from this past weekend, uh, not only was it Christmas, but as folks in the Commonwealth know, it was the time of year for the annual uh, dream game between the University of Louisville Cardinals and the University of Kentucky Wildcats. And for the eighth time in nine games, The Wildcats under head coach John Calipari were victorious. This time it was a little bit closer. It came down to a last-second shot for the Cardinals that did not go in, and the Wildcats walked away with the 75-73 victory. What overshadowed the great game, players on both sides kind of playing better than they had uh, previously. Uh, It was a very good game, usually – uh, it's been my experience that the Kentucky Louisville game, uh, even though we win <laughs> often, it uh, it's just not aesthetically pleasing. Uh, it's, it's a slow kind of methodical game. But that was not the case. Uh, the Cats got up ten early in the second ha- in the first half. Cards came back. Cats went on a run uh, right before halftime. After Coach Cow got a technical foul and sell that lead balloon up to 16 early in the second half and Louisville fought back uh to to get that that last second uh chance to to win the game but uh fortunately for the folks in blue that shot uh did not go in but overshadowing the great game uh the great rivalry game uh were the antics of current Louisville coach former Kentucky coach Rick Pitino Rick Pitino, like Coach Cal, uh, drew a technical foul during the game. Uh, On the way off the court after the game, uh, Pitino made an obscene gesture towards some of the Kentucky fans who were no doubt giving him, quote, unquote, the business as he exited uh, the Rupp Arena floor. And not only that, he did not show up for the post-game press conference, even though uh, the Louisville Sports Information folks had indicated he would do that uh, he did not show up for the post-game press conference and then did not show uh, later on uh, outside of the locker room uh, like he indicated. And it's a very interesting what happened with all that. Um, you know, folks like to say that Coach Cal had a lot of baggage uh, because of what went down at UMass, what went down at Memphis. But at this point in his career, Coach Rick Patino had a lot of baggage himself. Uh, he had his um, issues uh, previously where he was uh, being blackmailed and, and that issue with Karen Cipher a few years ago. And right now, as it sits, his program is being investigated uh, by Katina Powell in her book, The Allegations of, of Prostitutes on Campus and that kind of thing, Uh but he's becoming more known for his boorish behavior. This was not the first time uh, Rick Pitino had blown off a post-game press conference, uh, but it generally only happens after a Louisville loss. And my mindset is if you are the head person of the, of the team and you're making 4 $5, 6000000 million a year, then you should be man enough or woman enough to stand up and answer the tough questions after a tough loss. I don't think anyone was expecting him to uh, be overly, uh, overly praise the Wildcats, but you come out, you give that coach talk. It was a good game. They've got good players. We've got good players. We'll see them down the road. That's pretty much all you have to say. And then you move on by not coming out and not giving that post-game press conference. You just create a situation where there there doesn't need to be one, and I'm not even referring to the uh, obscene gesture. If that happens. I- I'm not too bent out of shape about that. But he doesn't go to the press conference. He sa- answers a few questions on the University of Louisville post game show, and then that's it. Uh, and then on Monday he releases on his blog or whatever. Uh, something to the effect of the Kentucky-Louisville game is just too emotional for him, too emotional for him to do what he needs to do. And like clockwork, uh, some of the Louisville media who I believe carry too much of the water for the University of Louisville, Tom Jurich, Rick Pitino, Bobby Petrino, InsiderLouisville.com, Uh, wrote a piece basically saying that Kentucky fans need to be nicer to Rick Pitino because of what he did when he arrived in Lexington in 1989. Now, I think I'm fairly in tune with uh, the Big Blue Nation through social media and friends and whatnot, and I personally have not heard a majority of Kentucky fans disparaging what he did when he was in Lexington because everybody remembers the Kentucky shame cover of sports illustrated. Everybody remembers the, the picture, the shadows. You've got the, the player holding his head down, holding the basketball, Kentucky shame. And at that point it was, it's a different world than it is today. The shadow of SMU and the death penalty was still in play at that point. And Kentucky was looking at that, that death penalty meaning they would cease operations as a basketball team for at least one year. Now, some of the younger folks might say SMU football, but the older folks might remember SMU, Eric Dickerson uh, came from SMU. Craig James came from SMU. They were a very big Football program out of Dallas, Texas In the old Southwestern conference There's a great 30 for 30 ESPN called the Pony Express uh, About the, How things went down uh, in At SMU The moral to the story is The SMU football program Never recovered By not being able To play that set In motion uh Basically, conference realignment. Arkansas and some of the other teams of the Southwestern Conference had gaps to fill because of SMU not being able to play, which eventually led to Arkansas moving into the SEC. And you see where that domino effect has got us to today. So uh, as a result of that, the NCAA has kind of said, we're not going to do that. We're, we're, that is just too, That is a program killer. But in 1989, that was being discussed for the University of Kentucky. It was a dire time. And CM Newton bringing uh, Rick Pitino in from the New York Knicks to clean up the mess, he did a wonderful job. When you think about where the program was when Rick Pitino stepped foot on campus and where it was when he left for the Boston Celtics in 1997, from, from the cellar, from the absolute bottom, to, he left off of back to back final four finishes, a uh, uh, runner up and finish in 97, overtime loss to Arizona. Thank you, Miles Simon. And then, of course, assembled a similar 1996 team, which for my money is still numero uno as far as uh, college basketball teams that I have seen. I'm almost 40 and I haven't seen a team better, I haven't seen a team really come close. But he did that, you know, Jamal Mashburn, Tony Duck. He brought in great players, and he coached them up. He played a style that that worked for the 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 players that he had. So, from the '93 Final Four to uh, the '96 and '97 teams, he brought Kentucky from from being dead from the morgue all the way back up to the top of the college basketball mountain. And for that, he has a banner with his name on it hanging in the rafters of Rupp Arena. The 93 Final Four banner is up there. The 96 banner is up there. 97 is up there. Jamal Mashburn, who a lot of people indicate Rick Tino recruiting him to Lexington that was the start of the resurgent, the renaissance, if you will, of Kentucky basketball. His jersey is hanging in the rafters. Tony Delt is hanging in the rafters. There's so many representations of of Rick Patino, not even talking about the unforgettables. Woods, Palfrey, Farmer, Feldhaus. They're hanging up in the rafters as well. You don't have to be a a college basketball junkie to know about the Christian Leitner shot and how incredible that game was. So, yes, what Rick Patino did when he was in Lexington is nothing short of a miracle. And I would be the last person to downplay that because it was miraculous. I know a lot of people say, you know, Kentucky was good with Rupp. We won a title with. Uh, Joe B. Hall, but there was no guarantee we were going to get back to to that level. It took a special coach like Rick Pitino at that time to bring the program back, and he did. And we say thank you. But, but, and this is where I kind of got upset about this insider dot com insider louisville dot com article basically saying that the big blue nation Kentucky fans are too stupid to realize what Rick Patino did for the program because they choose to now boo him because he is coaching at the University of Louisville. Look when Rick Patino left Lexington for the Boston Celtics, I had no ill will against him. It's the Boston Celtics, top one, top two NBA franchise. They offered him complete control and a bucket load of money. At that time, I said, thank you for your service. Go on. But when he decided to come back to college coaching, of all the places to go to, of all the programs that were available for him to, to latch onto in his triumphant return to college basketball, he chose the University of Louisville. And you would think being in Lexington for as long as he was and being a part of that rivalry, he would understand the emotion attached to it from both sides. So while a lot of people want to paint the Kentucky fans as being some sort of uninformed hillbilly lynch mob when it comes to Rick Pitino, you can't think of another coach who flips sides in the rivalry like that. Can you imagine Dean Smith at Duke, Coach K in Carolina Blue, Wee Hayes, in the maize and blue? Do you think that uh, Bear Bryant could have left Alabama and picked up things on on Auburn's campus? If right today Nick Saban wins the national championship, goes and takes over the Philadelphia Eagles, flames out, and in two or three years comes back to Auburn, you think the Bama fans? <laughs> won't be excited. So I don't think this is unique to Kentucky fans how they feel. What is unique is that a coach flips from one side to the other. That's the uniqueness of it. So, yes, when he goes to Rupp Arena, he's going to get booed. I'm not saying it's right, but that's what fans do. They boo. They're going to say bad words to you. You went from being worshipped to now being loathed. You're the enemy. And it's not an either-or proposition. We can still be thankful and appreciative of what Rick Pitino did as the head coach of the University of Kentucky men's basketball team. I'm appreciative of it. Every time I go to Rupp Arena, I look up at the banners. But that's all we owe him. The fans don't need to treat him any different than another opposing coach coming in. That is a choice that he made. That is a choice that he needs to live with. That is something, if it's too emotional for him, perhaps it's time to find another find another job. If you can't handle yourself, for an event that takes place once every two years, if it's too much for you to return to the place where you were once a king and now you are booed, maybe it's time that you find something else to do. But again, Wildcat fans, we thank you, Rick Pitino, for what you did from 1989 to 1997. But, as long as you're coaching our arch rival, you're still going to get booed. You're listening to Cats Talk Wednesday. This is Terry Brown. Vinny Hardy is off. If you want to join the fun, you can give us a call at 845-277-9373. So I'm, I'm off my soapbox about rick patino his boorish behavior his unprofessional behavior and his relationship or lack thereof of the big blue nation looking forward for the kentucky wildcats and and let me just say tyler ulis is that dude and I'm I'm going to go out on a limb to say that he's probably the best player that we have on the team right now. When he is healthy, he is the straw that stirs the drink. Tyler Uless against Louisville on Saturday, 21 points, 8 assists, 1 turnover. Set the tone early because you knew that the Cardinals were going to come out in their 2-3 matchup zone something Kentucky has not handled well, particularly in losses to UCLA and Ohio State. So you knew outside shooting and being able to attack the zone on the dribble, you knew there were going to be keys going in. And Tyler Euless set the tone early by hitting a couple of big threes, by attacking, by getting into the teeth of the defense and, and breaking the defense down, he set the tone. He is the tone maker, the tone setter. He is the captain. He's five foot nine, but he stands tall when he's making plays. And I know this is hard for Kentucky fans sometimes to do and for the national media. You know, I'm not worried about where Tyler Ulis is going to be drafted. It doesn't make me any difference. Right now he is playing fantastic. right now, he's the best point guard in America for my money i wouldn't I wouldn't take anybody else. I would not step on the court with anybody else other than tyler u s and I'm a point guard guy. I love the point guard position. Magic Johnson is still my favorite n b a player of all time. Because a great point guard makes everyone else better. And that's a little cliche and a little rote. But when guys know if they're open, they're going to get the ball, they're going to play a little bit harder. If a guy knows, hey, if I cut to the basket and there's a chance for a pass, I better be ready because it's coming. And a great point guard makes the game easier for people. It 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 keeps the offense moving. And I know Scal Abissier is has been struggling. Those his struggles have been well documented. But I think he plays better with Eulis on the court. Eulis puts him in a position to do things. He's gotta to learn to take advantage of that. But Eulis puts everybody in a better position. Also, you can't overlook the contribution to Alex Poythers that he made in the game. His game is made for a zone defense. Alex Poiters can patrol the back line. He moves well without the ball. And you saw for a stretch there against the Cardinals, he was getting to the paint Posting up and making the right play, being very decisive. That's the Alex Poitras Kentucky needs to win. The Alex Poitras we've kind of been waiting on. He's now making the plays with his head that he wows us with with his legs. And let me just say this. I know there have been a lot of great dunkers in Kentucky basketball history. I'm still going to put my money on Alex Poitras. He's so effortless, and he's with such ferocity. I'm going to put him at the top of my list as far as dunkers. And he had that that, that block came kind of out of nowhere, and now he's blocking shots? Are you kidding me? This isn't fair. And when we look back on 2015 and we look back at, last year's Kentucky basketball team that finished 38-1. and We can talk about if the Harrison twins played too much against Wisconsin, if Uless could have been out there more, should Towns that have gotten some touches. But I think with the healthy Alex Poitras, boom, game over, we win. Because what he did in the previous year's Final Four against Wisconsin, that's what was missing from the 2015 Final Four. Plays great defense from the 3-4 spot. And he's just an athletic freak. But the Cats kick off the conference season on Saturday as Ole Miss comes to town. That's going to be a great one uh, as the Cats go for their 50-11th, 50-whatever, 50-11th. uh, SEC Championship. I don't know anybody that really keeps track of those, but they're going to start for that. We're going to take a quick break or I'm going to take a quick break here on uh, Cats Talk Wednesday. This is Terry Brown. going to take a quick break and I will be back and we will start to look backward on the year that was in sports. Thanks for listening. <laughs> And down, I'm the I am. It's my nine tries. Uh, Kyle is 8-1 and one against Rick since he's been in Lexington, a pretty good mark. But looking back on the year that was, there were a lot of things that went down in 2015, and, and what I'm doing is kind of looking back and, and reliving some of those moments. If you want to join in this trip down memory lane, please feel free to call in to the show here. It's eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three. Again it's eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three. Or you can tweet the show account. That's at Cats Talk Wednesday. That's Cats Talk W E D. Or you can tweet at me directly and that is at T Brown underscore eighty. T Brown eighty on the Twitter machine. For the majority of my life, the first 29, almost 30 years, I was not a soccer aficionado. It was a game that non-Americans played and were good at, something we weren't very good at, and I didn't pay too much attention to it. Even with the Brandy Chastain celebration in 1999 with Mia Hamm and and those ladies winning the World Cup, still wasn't totally on board. It seemed like a, a gimmick, a fad, if you will. Fast forward to 2015, married two daughters of my own, and wouldn't you know, their favorite sport is soccer. So this summer, we watched the 2015 Women's World Cup. The U.S. women were favored, but they had not won the the trophy since that team back in 1999. So it had been a while. And so myself and my daughters and my wife, we watched not only the the U.S. games, we watched a lot of the other teams as well. So uh, I'm not saying I'm that much more learned about soccer, but I can't appreciate it. So the U.S. women's national team won the 2015 World Cup. And it was a swan song, if you will, for Abby Wambach, who has scored more international goals than anybody, male or female. And I think the support, the kind of excitement for the Women's World Cup, yes, the USA, they, they were playing well, they were winning. It helped that Canada was hosting, so the start times were were pretty, pretty good here for the states, but they played well. They were relentless. They attacked. Carly Lloyd with a hat trick in the final. Her third goal was from about midfield. So definitely, the Women's World Cup team, they had their parade. They did the rounds on the talk shows. They met President Obama at the White House, and he said, this is what we mean by play like a girl. And that is absolutely, positively what we want to see you play hard. If you're a girl, you, you win. And that's what the women's world cup team did this year. The year started off with a pretty thrilling super bowl between the Seattle Seahawks, excuse me. And the new England Patriots, the Seahawks behind Russell Wilson, and of course Tom Brady on the other side. And I'm old enough to remember there was about a fifteen year stretch where the Super Bowl it was a terrible game. It was a blowout. I'm dating myself, but I remember the Super Bowl, I believe it was Super Bowl twenty, the Patriots and the Bears. The Bears, that was that was not close. In in John Elway's first run first 3 Super Bowl. They the the Broncos got run off of the field. You know, Doug Williams and the Redskins. 35 second quarter points against the Broncos. My 49ers. With a 55-10 Super Bowl 24 beat down of the Broncos. About the closest Super Bowl there was was Super Bowl 23. My Niners against the Cincinnati Bengals. The 49ers driving, needing a touchdown to win the game. Super Bowl MVP Jerry Rice, 11 catches, 215 yards, one touchdown. And for those of you who don't know, my Twitter handle, brown underscore 80, the eight zero the 80, is for Jerry Rice, my favorite athlete of all time. But there was a string of which the Super Bowl wasn't even close. And then we have the Titans and Rams Super Bowl, Kevin Dyson one yard short. And since then, we've had some pretty good ones. The Steelers and the Cardinals, Roethlisberger, Santonio Holmes, the Patriots with their field goals to win it. So we've had some pretty close Super Bowls. But nothing like we saw this past season between the Seahawks and the Patriots. The Seahawks are driving in the Super Bowl to win the Super Bowl. They're driving. Time is running out. They get down to the New England two- or three-yard line. In their backfield is Marshawn Lynch, beast mode. And I still remember that run he had a few years ago for the Seahawks where it looked like he ran through about 14 defenders. He's just shaking them off. He runs in for the touchdown. He's tough to bring down. You've got this guy in the backfield, Pete Carroll, And for whatever reason, the Seahawks, they call a pass play that gets intercepted in the end zone. The Patriots go on to win the game. Tom Brady joins my man, Joe Montana. And the Steelers, Terry Bradshaw, in the four Super Bowl ring club. Tom Brady is now 4-2 and two in the Super Bowl. But you still have to shake your head at the play call. And this is one of those things where, to me, sometimes coaches, they get a little too cute. They want to say, aha, you're expecting this, but we're going to do that. Sometimes just go to your best player and let him or her win it. Look, I'm a Lakers fan. For the better part of 12 years, I was totally okay with Kobe Bryant getting that last second shot. He's the man. Let him do it. If you're going to go down, go down swinging. But I think the Seahawks got too cute, and for my money that cost them the Super Bowl. Moving on to the NBA, LeBron's return to the Cleveland Cavaliers. He got him back to the NBA Finals. LeBron's fifth straight NBA Finals. That is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. I know he's been in the NBA for a while, but when you look at his minutes, and the way he's already played more minutes than all these Hall of Famers, it's remarkable. Because you have to look at, when you're going to the finals, that's an additional 20, 25 games per year. So a couple of deep runs, and you've added a whole other NBA season onto your odometer. Yet LeBron is still being used at a high rate, and he's still being involved in You have to wonder at what point will his body just give up? At what point will he kind of break down? But with injuries to Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, it was Kyle LeBron and the other guys in the NBA Finals. And the Golden State Warriors with the Splash Brothers, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, they they bombed their way, they three-point bombed their way to an NBA title. And almost as it was happening, folks were already saying, well, they can't do it again. It was a fluke. LeBron and the Cavs, they were hurt, and they didn't play the Spurs in the West and this, that, and the other. But they finished number one in defensive and offensive efficiency. That is ridiculous. Ridiculous. So, after a summer of hearing them get, hearing themselves get dismissed and tossed to the side, the Warriors have come back this year with a vengeance. And let's just say this: Steph Curry right now is playing at an unbelievable level. Unbelievable. A lot of people, and and I'm starting to come around and saying he's the best shooter ever. Ever. I usually don't get caught up in that kind of thing. I usually try to stay level-headed. But when you watch him play and see the shots that he hits, wow. Most great shooters, when you think of Reggie Miller, when you think of Ray Allen in his latter years, are catch and shoot. Run a couple of screens, let him get open, catch, shoot. But what Steph Curry does off the dribble, that is what blows my mind. Off the dribble, getting the ball from his left-hand, right hand, getting it up into the shooting motion. It, and you in his range, he's a tough guy to guard. His handles have gotten better every year. We remember last year, put Chris Paul, who is a very, very good defender, put him on skates and had him sprawled out on the ground. The team, as it's constructed in Golden State, they look good. Finals MVP, Andre Iguodala, whose defense on LeBron was key. There's just so many great parts there, and it's a, it's a great story with Golden State, who outside of Run TMC, for you youngsters, in the early 90s, I've forgotten about franchise. You know, Chris Mullen was there. Chris Weber played there. But the Warriors, (laughs) eh, you you, you didn't really think about it. But now Golden State's rocking. They're once again kind of leading that charge. They've got to be the odds-on favorites to repeat. And they may not catch the 1995-96 Bulls and 72 wins, but It's possible. So I definitely think that Curry's hes he's now in that discussion. Top five NBA players. Curry, Durant, LeBron. Me personally, I would put Anthony Davis. I know he's having a rough stretch a little bit this year, and he's had some injuries, but when you see him play – and you see that the Pelicans have a lot of knuckleheads on the floor. I'm surprised he's getting the stats that he's getting. Christmas Day I watched the Heat uh and Pelicans game the window overtime and at the end of the overtime or at the end of the regulation, excuse me, it's like they were actively looking to not get Anthony Davis the ball. He ends up getting the ball thirty feet from the basket with two seconds left on the clock, and he's got to heave a shot that misses. you you got to, like I said, you, you've got a star player. You've got to let him or her go out and win you the game. That's what it's all about. As the kids say, you've got to have a ride or die. If you pass to Anthony Davis and he misses, okay, he's our big dog. But more likely than not, he's going to make the play to win. And taking a quick look at the NBA, it's all cats and everything. John Wall is the man in D.C., Anthony Davis in New Orleans. And you look at DeMarcus Cousins in Sacramento. I know he got thrown out the other night and all that, but he's he's a 2010 guy. Those are three people, the faces of their franchise. And, of course, you look at the Suns, who basically have turned themselves into Wildcats West. Tough to see uh, Eric Bledsoe have a knee injury. He'll be out the rest of the year, but it's all cats everything in the NBA right now. And Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota put numbers we haven't seen since a young Shaq in terms of double-doubles pretty nice company if you can do it well i'm gonna take another break it is about 6:45 here on the east coast i'm gonna take another quick break and when we come back we're gonna look at some more of the year in review this is terry brown and you're listening to catch talk wednesday is Terry Brown, and I'm riding solo tonight, my ace, Boon Coon, my ace in the hole, my I guess I don't know who's Batman, who's Robin, but the dynamic duo, I'm just solo tonight, Minnie Hardy is away, and this is Cats Talk Wednesday. You can join the fun at 845-277-9373, again, that's 845 277 9373 you can tweet at the show account or you can tweet at me or you can email smoke signal whatever you want to do uh right now and for this show i'm just looking at the 2015 the year that was and as we're getting ready for the final four for this year with oklahoma michigan state Clemson and Alabama take it back to right at a year ago the first year for this college football playoff Oregon, Florida State Ohio State and Alabama Ohio State shocked a lot of people by beating Alabama I don't think a lot of people were as shocked when Oregon beat Florida State Florida State had been they were undefeated yes but it looked like they were held together by some scotch tape and a whole lot of luck and grit and housing winner Jameis Winston, you know, that, that, that play has become a meme, him falling back and uh, Oregon getting the interception in the semifinal and Oregon and Ohio state meeting in the championship game. And then Ezekiel Elliott basically helping the Buckeyes run away with it, giving urban Meyer, Another national championship, and the Buckeyes are happy. Buckeye fans are happy. They they got the hardware. I think it worked. I think four teams is good. You look at the way it's set up this year. Uh, you can't really make a whole lot of arguments for anybody else to be included. And here's the thing about Alabama. Every time Alabama loses, we get think pieces. We get talking heads talking about Alabama's dead. You don't have to worry about Alabama. And I think some of the mystique around Alabama is gone. Like the A.J. McCarran championship teams that they had opponents beat before they, the ball was even kicked off to start the game. But Alabama, under Nick Saban, is still Alabama. They were written off this year with an early season loss to Ole Miss, and here they are. Alabama football under Nick Saban, they are the Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger of college football. You can't kill them. They're going to keep coming back. As much as you want them to leave. Now, I'm not guaranteeing they're going to win the championship this year, but, They're in the position to. They're the only team from last year that's back in it. So even if they don't win, they're still in a better position than a lot of other teams to win. But I like the playoff. I think that it's good. When you look back, or when I look back at at classic sports and old bowl games, and how did the old bowl structure make any sense to anybody? How did that go on for as long as it did, with the Big Ten and the Pac-10 locked up in the Rose Bowl and uh, SEC and the Sugar Bowl and I forget who was the uh, was a Big Twelve, Big Eight, the Fiesta Bowl and or the Orange Bowl. It, it and then and then you just vote. I like playing it out. I mean, the BCS was flawed. But the BCS still made more sense than the old bowl structure. I mean, how many deserving teams didn't win the championship because of the way the bowl system was set up? Made zero sense. It's better now. I don't think it's. I don't think we need to go to eight teams. I think that's too much because. If right now, these first two years, if teams five and six don't really have an argument, you go to eight teams, to teams nine and ten, they have less of an argument to be included. Keep it at four. Now, does that mean that some teams and some conferences may get the short end of it? Possibly. Possibly. I'm an SEC homer. Uh, A lot of folks see the SEC championship game as a play into the playoff. I'm fine with that. I know it's perception, but I'm fine with that. Now, if I'm a Pac-12 person or a Big 12 person, am I okay with that? Probably not. But the number one thing to keep in mind, if you want to be included in the playoff, go undefeated win your conference, go undefeated, you will get included. Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12, ACC, SEC. So I think the playoff right now, as it's set, works really well. Now, to my personal favorite sporting event, March Madness, college basketball, I don't think you'll find anything in the sports world, and I'm talking anything around the world, as uniquely perfect as the NCAA tournament. Now, the NCAA tinkered with it, with your first four in, four out, and the play-in games and all that, and I'm hoping that doesn't lead to further expansion, but you've got your bracket. 64 teams ready to go, 68, I still say 64. My first round was when it's 64. I don't know how the NCAA is going about calling it, but I still call it that. The 64 teams, the way that tournament is set up, you don't really have to jury-rig or, or jimmy the the, the the way you see the teams because the very nature of the tournament – You're going to have drama, high drama. You're going to have buzzer beaters. You're going to have little schools, little teams, knock off big teams. You're going to see that. It's a guarantee. You don't have to be a fan of any teams. You can watch it, and you know you're going to get a game that's going to go down to the wire. Can teams execute? A lot of folks might think that that 64 team NCA tournament, tournament kind of belittles the regular season. I don't think that's the case, especially now with the NCAA's pod system. You have a good season, you win your conference, you win the uh, you win your conference tournament. You're going to play closer to home. Last year, Kentucky, undefeated going in. What was the reward? They got to play in Louisville. That is a home game. That is a home game for the Kentucky Wildcats, same way it was in 2012. You get two games at the Yum Center, that's home. That's your reward for a good season. You have a... Law season, tournament, but you're going out west. You're going up north. You're going somewhere. I love the NCAA tournament. Now, I didn't like this one as much. Look, after the 2012 championship, Coach Cal is getting interviewed, and he says that he'd like to – Coach, an undefeated team, 40-0. and 0. People laughed. A lot of folks made snide remarks, snide comments. Undefeated? That's just crazy talk. Until it almost wasn't. this was going to be the team that was going to define Cal, define this run that we've been on as Wildcat fans. This was the team that was going to be spoken of along with the 1996 team, 40-0. The problem is, As a team, you're going to have an off night. It's how well you play. When you have that off night, can you still win? An off night in January, February against Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Auburn, South Carolina, Kentucky, has the talent to overcome that. You look at the Georgia game last year, should have lost at Georgia, should have lost that game. Georgia's at home. Georgia's rolling. The Cats aren't playing well. Nothing's really working. And all of a sudden, they win. The problem is when you have an off night in the Final Four and you're playing a very talented team that you put out of the Final Four the year before. They have had a rematch circle. Frank Kaminsky, player of the year. Bo Ryan should be in the Hall of Fame as a coach. The Badgers came ready to play, and Kentucky had an off night. I'm not going to blame Cal, although I think my only complaint with John Calipari is in the big games, When he goes to that stall offense, I think it throws a monkey wrench into things. The guys have been attacking the whole game, and and then Cal has them pull it back up. I think it it messes with them. And I understand you want to limit those possessions. You want to milk that clock, but I think you do it too soon, you put the brake on too soon, and momentum is gone. Cat's up four, time getting short. Cats go up six, it's it's a different ball game. Badgers are going to have to come out of their comfort zone. It's a game-changing situation. But the Cats lost. Tied the 2012 team for 38 wins, 38 regular season wins.
0: Or 38 wins
1: total, excuse me. NCAA record. And I never felt... Disappointed in the loss But it was just an empty feeling Because when you think about it I'm old enough to remember Before John Calipari Came to Kentucky And Tubby's last few years Were rough Billy G's two years Were an embarrassment Still not as low as when Rick Pitino took over But from 1998, it had been a long time for the Cats to not have been in the Final Four. That was a drought. I know Kentucky fans know what I'm talking about. But here we are in 2015, and for some people, a Final Four is a disappointment. Some of Cal's detractors saying he can't coach. He can get you the Final Four, can he win it? And to that I say, you got to get to the Final Four before you can win the Final Four. Has Cal left some championships on the table? Maybe. Coach K, for those folks who don't remember before, he won in 1991. He had six or seven Final Fours without a championship to show for it. The NCAA tournament and its beauty and its randomness says the best team doesn't always win the tournament. When it's a one-and-done philosophy, it's cliche, but on any given day, foul trouble, injury, a style of play that you're not used to. Look, the the 2009-2010 John Wall team, Kentucky, best team in the best team in the country that year. Their one weakness: consistent outside shooting. West Virginia said, "Shoot them." One bad night. That's all it takes. 2011, one of the best rides that I've been on as a fan. Brandon Knight, who I think gets overlooked when we talk about great Cal players at Kentucky. Matter of fact, on WildcatBlueNation.com, I wrote about the 2010-2011 team and their road to the Final Four. Everyone thought that John Wall team was going to be the team to end the drought, but it was the less heralded team in 2011 that did it. Brandon Knight, buzzer beater, after buzzer beater, one of my favorite shots, pictures, Kentucky history is ran a night shooting over Aaron Craft for Ohio State. Cats, after falling to the North Carolina Tar Heels during the season, get revenge, DeAndre Liggins three to seal the deal. And then there's that picture of, of Cal and Liggins hugging they on the sidelines as time runs out. Great image. Of course, fall in the Final Four to Connecticut. The eventual national champion. Of course, 2012, when it all. 2013. At what point Kentucky fans and other fans say 2013 was the aberration? Anytime a Kentucky team struggles, it's not opposing fans. It's Kentucky fans that talk about 2013 NIT. People worried about this year's team going to the NIT. Stop it. That team was a, a disaster from the get-out. The, the roster make up. Kyle's usual roster. And I think he's learned his lesson. So, sit back let the players do what they do, the players are going to get better. There have been stretches with all cows teams where they look pretty uneven, pretty, pretty wild in the first part of the season. But once they find their identity, they'll be fine. But this Wisconsin game, it hurts. It's that empty feeling. This is the one time I felt that championship – got away from us. But right back at it. That's the beauty of this. Right back in the hunt. I'd put money on us getting back to the Final Four this year. Is this team great? No. But there's no great teams in college basketball. They've all looked vulnerable. I will take Coach Cal every day of the week, twice on Sundays, to be that coach. Staying in Kentucky for the first time in 37 years, a horse won the Triple Crown. American pharaoh, wire to wire in all three races, the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness and the Belmont, won the triple crown i know horse racing isn't nationally what it once was but being from kentucky horse racing is still a huge part of who we are it's a huge part of what we do i'm from louisville i've been to churchill downs for the derby i drive by it often the oldest continuous sporting event in the United States, the Kentucky Derby. 1875 was the first running, and has run uninterrupted since. War time, peace time. In the rain, in the snow, in the 110-degree heat, the Kentucky Derby is still special. But American Pharaoh capturing the, the horse racing world. And we've been teased before. There have been a lot of horses that have won the first two and looked good in the first two, looked unbeatable in the first two legs of the Triple Crown. Big Brown a few years ago. I wanted Big Brown to win. Of course. Last name's Brown. Of course I want Big Brown to win. But he didn't. But American Pharaoh delivered where other horses did not. Absolutely just ridiculous how talented this horse is. Absolutely just crazy about this horse. Now, should the horse have been Sportsman of the Year? No. We and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. No. Horse is not a sports person of the year. Horse is not a sports person. But horse is a horse, of course, of course. Recognize American Pharoah and everyone involved with, with getting to that point, but no, not a horse. Sports person of the year, Serena Williams. who almost won the, the year Grand Slam in tennis, fell short at the U.S. Open. And again, not to rehash what Vinny and I have already talked about, you can check out our archives on iTunes, but Serena Williams is is carrying the torch for women's tennis. A big deal has been made of her musculature, her frame, and there's an article over the summer talking about how some of her uh, fellow players don't want to, quote-unquote, look like that. Well, that's all right. She responds fine with that, and she beats their brains in. She's dominant, and she's old for tennis. When you think about how good she was, following in her sister Venus' footst- footprints, footsteps venus was supposed to be the one that was going to win the hardware she has but serena has passed her she had a great run she fell off and now she's back it's a great second act and she's teetering on that edge i know we live in the time frame where everything's got to be the best and the greatest and the this and the that but Serena could very well be the best women's tennis player of all time. I think she's got a few more Grand Slam titles in her. I think she can win a few more. Australian Open's coming up. People used to say Tiger Woods doing this any hey, day. Tiger of the field, Serena of the field, I'm going to take Serena. That's just how it is. In what I will say is a disappointment of the year was the Manny Pacquiao-Floyd Mayweather Jr. boxing match. Same day as a derby. Nice double dip, derby in the afternoon, fight at night. The fight that everybody wanted five years ago, but still were paying top money to see this year. All the pay-per-view providers, it was backed up, so the fight kept getting delayed. All the issues, people wanting to buy it, turned out to be a snooze fest. All that sound and fury, and then Nothing. I'm not surprised Floyd Mayweather is a defensive fighter. People familiar with boxing would know that. It's not Muhammad Ali. He's not Sugar Ray Leonard. He's he's not Mike Tyson. He's not going to go for the knockout punch. He's defense and moving. And that's fine. That's how he's made his money. That's how he's won his titles. That's fine if you want to do that. Not fine is is out-of-the-ring antics with women, which is another reason I'm not a huge Mayweather fan. But he says he's going to hang them up this year. But as we know boxers say they, they say one thing, they say they're retired, and they'll come back. Speaking of coming back, we're gonna take a quick break. Terry Brown, you're listening to Cats Talk Wednesday. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: C'est bon.
1: Welcome back to Cats Talk Wednesday. This is Terry Brown holding it down, looking back at the year that was in 2015 in sports. Again, Cats Talk Wednesday. You can join in the fun and call us at 845-277-9373, or you can get on the Twitter machine or Facebook machine if you want. You can go to the Cats Talk page on both of those places. Catch Talk Wednesday, Facebook, at ED on Twitter, or you can reach me at tbrown underscore 80 on Twitter. And just looking back on the year that was in 2015, folks that retired this year walked away. Steve Nash, an NBA. I know we... It's been a while since we've seen him play, but he officially left this year. Back-to-back NBA MVP winner. Unfortunately, never got the chance to play in the NBA Finals. Remarkable shooter. And for my money, he made some of the best off-handed passes, left-handed passes of any point guard. Finishing third in all-time in NBA assists. A remarkable career for the Canadian. Speaking of Canadians and hockey, Martin Brodeur, longtime New Jersey Devils goaltender, he walked away this year. Hung it up. Retired, all-time great. The Chicago Blackhawks. One, the Stanley Cup, and I'm not a big hockey guy. Most of my hockey knowledge comes from,
0: I believe, it was NHL
1: '95. Made really famous by the movie Swingers. John Favreau, Vince Vaughn. Uh, that's pretty much all I know about hockey. But Chicago Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup, and for my money the best trophy in all of sports. It's big. It's huge. You get your name on it. And you get to carry it around. I mean, folks made a big deal. Cal went all across the state, crisscrossed the state with the 2012 championship trophy. But Stanley Cup, each player gets that for a day. That is fantastic. And there's, You can drink out of it and do all kinds of things with it. I don't know what all they do to it. That's a pretty, that's a, that's a neat trophy. So Chicago Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup trophy third time in six years. And I believe they're one of the original six franchises that, It's good to see Chicago having a little bit of success. Speaking of Chicago success, how about the Cubs? How ridiculous is that? The Cubs making it all the way to the National League Championship Series for the first time since the Bartman Series in 2003. Funny story about that. I was married October of 2003, And my wife and I honeymooned in uh, the Mayan Riviera, just south of Cancun in Mexico. So I watched the Bartman game in Spanish in our hotel room there. And they were just as confused as everybody else of what had happened. So for the first time since that debacle, the Cubs... The Cubs looking to shake off the 1908. That's been a long time since they won a World Series. They made it to the championship series, the NLCS. Eventually falling to the Mets. How about the Mets? They turned things around as well. They dipped down a little bit, but came back and They played a a decent World Series against the Kansas City Royals, but the Royals came back after losing the World Series last year to the Giants. Came back on a mission. And brought home a World Series title to Kansas City for their first time in a long time. I know Royals fans endured a lot of losing seasons, but they got to see... Bo Jackson playing his prime. So it's kind of a trade off there. You know, everybody talks about Lions fans, but hey, you all had Barry Sanders. That's a that's an okay trade off, but the Kansas City Royals back on the map. And it's good to see teams where fans have had to endure just horrible seasons. finally get a chance to put that index finger in the air and say we're number one has any sports town been as bad as Philadelphia was this year Phillies terrible Eagles just fired Chip Kelly terrible Flyers terrible And the Sixers are cover your eyes. What are they doing? Terrible. Now look, the the way the NBA is set up and NFL, I understand you you you, you tank because you want that high draft pick. I I get that. But the Sixers have been tanking for five years. Un, they're unwatchable. It's like they're not trying to field a competitive team. And when you do that for so long, that affects the culture. When you lose for so long, that that losing gets ingrained in you. Look at the Clippers for all those years. Top draft pick after top draft pick, but they were terrible. People only stayed there for as long as they had to. Then they were gone. No free agent was going there. You think when Kevin Durant, his contract comes up, he becomes a free agent, and you think that Philadelphia could – they could offer him $2 billion. He's not going there. The Sixers are terrible. And it's not even a fun terrible. Like when Allen Alverson was a rookie, it's not even fun terrible. For a city – like for a team like the Sixers who have had Dr. J – one of the the coolest basketball players i've ever seen they've had charles barkley yes kids charles barkley played for the sixers and then had allen iverson barkley and iverson with enough personality for three or four people each and now the sixers just aren't that interesting they're terrible they're not interesting And when you look at these franchises, you forget. The Eagles have been to a Super Bowl recently with Donovan McNabb. I'm saying recently, and here I am getting old, but the Phillies recently have won a World Series. And here they are being terrible. The Sixers with Allen Alverson, MVP, 2001. Lakers are rolling in the playoffs. They only lost game one of the finals. Allen Iverson with the step over Teron Liu. Won game one of the finals at Staples Center. And now this. Bad year. Bad year to be a Philadelphia sports fan. I know a lot of people like to look at Cleveland, but Cleveland's got LeBron. Cleveland is the the Cavs were in the finals last year. They they'll be fine. The Browns are the Browns, which are terrible. But Cleveland's always got they've got LeBron now. But Philadelphia. Wow. Kind of a wow. So a pretty good year in sports. I think I've covered just about everything. I'm not much on golf. Now the Tiger is not in it. It's probably the wrong angle to take, but here we are. Also keeping with my theme that I tweet out often, that University of Kentucky Athletics, it's more than just men's basketball. The UK women's women, the UK women's track team finished runner up in 2015. We had Coach Florial on in the fall, Again, you can check us out on iTunes. And he talked about what he did to get the te- the women's team in that position. So when we think about it, the women's track team had to finish better in the postseason than the men's basketball team. But you can see that with Kentucky sports, it's more than just men's basketball. It, there's a lot of things going on.
2: Now, as we start to
1: wind down, 30 minutes left in the show like they do at the Oscars and and the Grammys. We think about those sports personalities that left us this year. Adding to the malaise, and Daryl Dawkins and Moses Malone both passed away this year. Daryl Dawkins, famous for nicknaming his dunks, Chocolate Thunder, breaking basketball, breaking, breaking, I'll get it right eventually, breaking down backboards, both of those folks ta- passed away. Long time Oakland Raider quarterback Ken Stabler. Stayed. One of the guys that personified the, the bad boys Lakers bad boys bad boy Raiders of the seventies. Ken Stabler. Also, tough year for the Harlem Globetrotters. Marquise Haynes and Meadowlark Lemon. who My dad absolutely loved Meadowlark Lemon on the Harlem Globetrotters. At first glance, especially the Globetrotters when I was growing up, you think, well, they're just fooling around. But to do what they do, not only do you have to be good at basketball, you've got to be great, and on top of that you do other things. Also lost this year, Ernie Banks, Mr. Cub. Let's play two. Came up through the Negro Leagues, played for Chicago Cubs. Finished his career with 512 homers. Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame player. Frank Gifford. Frank Gifford, who I grew up knowing as the Monday Night Football guy. All-time great football player. NFL League MVP, 1976. Ultimate Giant. Definitely missed. A lot of people know his wife, Kathleen Gifford, but Frank Gifford passed away this year. Uh, This one kind of touches me a little bit. Uh, Dean Smith, longtime coach at North Carolina, who... Not I was not a big fan of, but I had to respect the way he built family into his program. We, we look at that now, and we're all a little callous to it, a little jaded. But he really did preach the Carolina family. Two-time national champion coach, 82 and 93. A lot of people despised the four-corners offense, but it was effective. Dean Smith eventually caught Coach Adolph Rupp for all-time wins, now been passed by Coach K. But Dean Smith, was awarded in 2013 the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Obama for what he had done in really helping bring integration along in the 60s. Absolutely a huge, huge figure in college basketball who... It was revealed a few years ago was battling dementia, Alzheimer's, like my own father. Both men whose memory were were what they were made of. They tell stories of Dean Smith. He could give him a game and he could remember possessions, time score, who was on the court. And then he started to fade. But a great Great coach, and a great man, and a great figure in college basketball. Around the same time this year, Jerry Tarkanian died three days after Dean Smith. We all, well, I'm old, but I remember Park the Shark. He didn't look like a coach. He had his shirt kind of, he wasn't wearing a suit and tie, and he would sit there with a towel, chomping on the towel, looking kind of like he was at a bus station waiting for his bus. But I tell you what, Tark the Shark and his team at UNLV, that Larry Johnson 1990 team and the 1991 team, You've got to put those teams up there when you're talking about all-time great teams. Tark had assembled a a great team. They played the amoeba defense, a matchup zone that was nearly impenetrable. I think for my money, when the running Rebels beat Duke in the championship game in 1990 by 30 points, I think that added the fire to get the Duke Blue Devils back to the Final Four in 91 to knock off the then-undefeated run in Rebels, and win their first title. One of the highlights of Tark was his ongoing battle with the NCAA. Back and forth legally with the NCAA, he was awarded $2.5 million in a settlement with the NCAA. He fought the law, and he won. Tark was Coach Cal before Coach Cal. There was a thought that he played fast and loose with the rules. He was kind of a rebel, bad boy kinda of, kinda of thing. Cal before Cal was Cal. And we bid him adieu this year. I don't know if he was the best baseball player ever. But he's got to be the most quoted athlete, Yogi Berra, the Yankee legend. He passed away, and if I were to go through some of his quotes, you you can observe a lot by watching. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. I really didn't say everything I said. Yogi Berra for the Yankees, catcher. Three-time league MVP. Played on ten World Series winners. Ten. Imagine if you did that to the 10. That's ridiculous. Caught Don Larson's perfect game in 1956. Yogi was Yogi. And we bid him a fond adieu as well. Stuart Scott passed away, ESPN sportscaster. Who in the early mid 90s, when SportsCenter in my mind was cool, Dan Patrick, Keith Oldman, Craig Kilborn, Rich Eisen, Stuart Scott was my man. It, he sounds like a guy at the barbershop with his booyah and as cool as the other side of the pillow. And the way he would work songs into the highlights were wonderful. But he passed away from cancer, and at last year's SB Awards and his very powerful speech when he won the Jimmy V. Award for courage, talking about his daughters and never giving up, absolutely remarkable, and a symbol of courage. So we bid adieu to him. On a personal note, uh, this year, I had to say goodbye to my own father, who, like Dean Smith, had suffered from dementia, and his memory failed him. And when I think about my dad, I think about how most of our Conversations about life revolved around sports. We were either watching sports or we were throwing a ball in the backyard or we were using sports to make a bigger point. My dad went to the FBI Academy when I was in the fifth grade and um, he was there for the Super Bowl that year. That was the Doug Williams and the Washington Redskins uh, beating the Denver Broncos Super Bowl. And we watched that Super Bowl together over the phone. And that was just a moment I will never forget. I don't have any sons of my own, but I have two daughters and... I hope that sports is is that, uh, that bridge for us. Because we can talk about athletes being spoiled and owners being greedy, that's always been the case. But the beauty of sports, what it should be about, about teamwork, working together for a common goal, that's good, is, it's not perfect, but it's just a great lesson for young people. And I thank my dad for fostering the love of sport in me. We're going to take a quick break, catch our breath, and look ahead. To 2016, when we come back on Catch Talk Wednesday. And we're back. Last 15 minutes or so of Cats Talk Wednesday. For those of you that have made it this far into the show, listening to me ramble on and on and wax poetic about different things, I certainly appreciate you. Just looking back at
2: 2015 as it
1: fades to the review mirror, And as we end the show, I'm thinking about moments in the sports world that stood out uh, to me. And I think a lot of other people, of course, the play in the Super Bowl, the pass that shouldn't have been a pass, but lots of things took place this year, as happens every year. A couple of of players come to mind. Willie Colley-Stein's dunk. The one against Florida. Absolutely nasty. And he just made a habit of dunking on people. Just where did that mean streak come from? Folks said that Coach Cal was not going to be able to get that much talent to buy in to what he was selling, and it was a good experiment. As we look forward to 2016, as I said, I think this year I'm still putting money down if gambling was legal and Mrs. TB would let me on the Cats making it to the Final Four this year. I think Scal comes around. I like, I love what I saw at Alex Poitras against Louisville. Can he continue going forward? Yes, I think so. Totally different team. Matthew Mitchell and the lady Wildcats, or the U.K. Hoops team, the women's team, undefeated, taking care of Louisville at home Ooh. in Rupp, taking care of Duke at home in Rupp. Could this be the year that they get over the hump And get to the women's final four. Lexington is hosting a site they can play the first two games of the NCAA tournament at home. That helps. Can they get over the home? Will the UK softball team return to the Women's College World Series? Coach Lawson. I think they can. The baseball team, Kentucky baseball, ranked this year. with some preseason All-Americans. Can they get over the hump into the College World Series? We shall see. Will the women's track team be able to one-up last year's runner-up performance? bring home some big hardware. Coach Floreau says so, and I'm not going to disagree with him. But as Dwayne Peavy, assistant AD at UK, he came on earlier this fall and talked about Athletic Director Mitch Barnhart's commitment to making Kentucky competitive across the board, helping coaches give them what they need to be successful. And that's what we're seeing. 2015 comes to a close. We're another year away from the year of the Cardinal. Thank goodness. We all know that the men's basketball team has beaten Louisville eight out of the last nine. Women's basketball has now won five straight in the series. Women's soccer has won five straight in the series. I believe volleyball's won three out of four in the series. Outside of football, I'm not sure that Louisville is a better program than anything right now. So, for all the talk of Kentucky being a one-sport town, that's not the case at all. Thank you, Mitch Barnhart. For a time there, it was. It was men's basketball and everything else. But when you look at the soccer facilities, the softball facilities, the soon-to-come tennis facilities on campus, the upgrades to Commonwealth Stadium, which looks fantastic, 2016 is going to be big for the Big Blue Nation. We've got the coaches, we've got the resources, we've got the student-athletes to be competitive at high levels. The men's soccer team won its first conference title. The women's soccer team had a down year, but only in comparison to the previous year when they reached the Sweet 16 of the NCAA women's soccer tournament. It's a great day to be a Kentucky fan. Also 2016, as the Lakers prepare to play the Celtics tonight, Kobe Bryant's last game in Boston, I had to rank my athletes. And let me just go ahead and put this side note in. This is not an endorsement of their off-the-field activities. I don't mean they're my heroes in that sense. My only hero in that sense, my father, my brothers. But as far as athletically, I had to rank my favorite athletes. Obviously, number one, Jerry Rice. Number Magic Johnson. And number three, Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant announced earlier, in the season that this was going to be his last go-round. After 20 years, he was hanging up his sneakers. And as they say, Father Tom is undefeated. And with his season-ending injuries the last couple of seasons, obviously Kobe doesn't have the lift that he used to. He can't blow by people like he used to, can't, get his shot off in the lane like he used to. But when you think about his longevity as a Laker and Tim Duncan as a spur. Those days of a, a person staying with one team forever, those are those are gone. Dwayne Wade, Miami, those might be the last ones. But as a Laker fan, and a Kobe fan, it's going to be sad to bid him farewell. Some people say he was selfish. Yeah. Ran Shaq out of town. Ran Powell Gasol out of town. I'm not sure why about that. As Powell puts up crazy numbers for the Chicago Bulls. But the reason I'm a Kobe Bryant fan, of course, fantastic basketball player, but he reminds me of myself. He's a star player, probably the best employee on most of the teams he's played on. Best. And he doesn't like his coworkers. He calls out his coworkers. Who doesn't do that? At your job, do you – look at the person in the queue next to you and you think that they're not pulling your way. Are you okay with that? When you know what you can do? No, he doesn't like his coworkers. He feuds with management. Hello, we all do that from time to time. But we think about it. And he's petulant. Even when it goes against his own interests. I wrote a piece about this on CameronMillsRadio.com, Farewell Kobe. You remember game seven uh, in the playoffs against the Suns? Game six, he'd gone for 50. A lot of people said that he's got to learn how to pass. He can't shoot all that much. And so he takes no shots in the second half. A close game at halftime becomes a blowout for the Suns. There was one point on a technical foul shot for an illegal defense, and that was it. Not many NBA superstars would do that to prove a point, but I understand it. If you're in a group project, not everybody's pulling their weight, project go down in flames. I understand that sentiment. So Kobe will be hanging up his sneakers one last time as a Laker. Twenty fifteen, another great year in sports. Another year, another banner for Coach Kyle and the Wildcats. Hardware for the women's track team, Kentucky. Football team showing some progress, but then showing some backsliding tendencies. Another year, another time for us to to really understand why we watch sports, why we like sports, why is it sports rights, broadcasting numbers are going through the roof? It's live television. It's it's not manufactured bachelor bachelorette drama. It's not keeping up with the Kardashian drama. You're seeing men and women at the peak, at their physical peak, playing their best. You win some, you lose some. There's drama in that when you've got folks overcoming all kinds of odds to to reach the peak of their profession. When you look at someone who's been so good for so long, dips down and comes back. Like an Albert Pujols, was written off, came back had a monster year this year. That's why we watch sports. That's why we care. You watch to see something amazing. You watch sports to see that Michael Jordan scoop shot against the Lakers in 91. You watch to see one of those, did you see that moments? That's why I watch. You root your teams on to victory, but we watch because it's, it's special. It's one of the few events anymore that, that's not script. You don't always know what's going to happen. Sometimes, David beats Goliath. The underdogs win. Sometimes Goliath wins. That's why the games aren't played on paper. We watch sports because we love sports. Even when it hurts when your team loses, it feels so good when your team wins. For Vinnie Harding, This is Terry Brown. This is Cats Talk Wednesday. We thank you all so much for listening to us and downloading us and bringing us into your homes, into your life. We wish you a prosperous 2016. We'll see you again next week. Oscar Combs, longtime Kentucky sports historian, will join us. Until then, Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Go, Cats, and we'll see you soon.